Welcome to Practical Christian Living. There had to be a child that would come through Abraham, through Judah, through David. And in Isaiah 53 and other passages in Isaiah, we're told that he would suffer for the iniquity of mankind, that he had to. If there's anybody that you think is the Messiah, you look back and you say, well, I think that person was the Messiah. They had to die for the sins of all mankind. Today on Practical Christian Living, we are looking at Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, all fulfilled by Jesus. We know because of prophecy that what we believe as Christ followers is true. And it is so important that we know why we believe what we believe so that we are rooted and grounded in the factual truth of the Word of God. It's a good note-taking day if you're able Here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary Tucson with Luke 4.16, and we'll also turn to Mark chapter 6. We thank you for the love that we have with one another. We pray now that your Holy Spirit would fall upon us, that you would speak to our hearts, that as we approach your word, that you would speak back to us about how we are to live. And we thank you that you have given us these things. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The word Messiah literally means anointed one. So does Christ. Christ is the Greek for Messiah. So Christ is anointed one. So when we say Jesus Christ is my savior, we are saying Jesus, the anointed one, is my savior. And I don't have time to go to Psalms 2 tonight. I would have started in Psalms 2, but that's a little bit of homework for you. Make a note of it. Psalms chapter 2, it's really short. But you can go and you can read about the anointed of God and him being called the son of God. Who is the son of God? Today I have begotten you. All is in Psalms 2. Uh, he has called his anointed and talks about the anointed one and the son of God. It talks about the Messiah. And we're going to see that Jesus indeed is the fulfillment of that. There were three individuals in the Old Testament who would be anointed. To be anointed would be taking some oil, pouring it over the head of the individual and that was a symbol of them being empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the work that God has called them to do. We saw, for example, Samson was filled with the Holy Spirit and he couldn't fight anymore when the Holy Spirit was taken from him, right? So the Holy Spirit is the anointing. It's a symbol of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We also know from the prophet Joel that it was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, that God has poured his spirit out upon all of us. So we have all been anointed. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. He empowers us to do the work that God's called us to do. There were three groups of people that got anointed in the Old Testament. The first one were kings. When a king took the throne, they took him aside and a priest would pour oil over his head or a prophet for David, right? It was Samuel the prophet who poured oil over David's head and he would pour oil over his head. It was a sign that God's hand was upon him and he was anointed by God. The second kind of person who would be anointed would be priests. When you became a priest and you were taking care of the tabernacle and you were giving sacrifices, then part of becoming a priest would be that the oil would be poured over your head and God was empowering you, giving you that right, that anointing, the Holy Spirit, to be able to help people deal with their sins. Very important. There's also a prophet that was anointed. We don't see it a lot, but we see that Elisha 
the student of Elijah had asked for a double anointing and that God caused that anointing to fall on him. He was anointed. He had the anointing on him when Elijah was taken up in the chariot. So there are prophets, priests, and kings in the Old Testament. Interesting that you never find an individual that has, holds all three of those offices in the Old Testament. You find kings that were prophets like David. You find priests that were prophets, but you never find a king who is a priest. In fact, when kings tried to do the priestly roles, remember the good king Uzziah, how good he was? And then near the end of his life, he wanted to go give a sacrifice and leprosy came on him. No wonder Isaiah said in the year that King Uzziah died, I lift up my eyes and I saw God upon the throne and his train filled the temple. He was remembering that Uzziah was this good guy who just blew it in the end. How many saints are like that, by the way? They just seem to blow it in the end. And, um, but Jesus is an anointed king. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He is a priest forever by the order of Melchizedek. He gave his own body as the lamb of God as a sacrifice. Hebrews says, why would you have an earthly priest when you can have a priest that lives forever? Jesus is a king and he is a priest. There is never one in the Old Testament and he's a prophet. Jesus tells all kinds of things through prophets. He speaks for God. He meets every condition for a prophet. So he is the anointed one who is king, who is priest, who is prophet. And he fulfills all of these Old Testament passages that talk about him being the Messiah. The first prophecy ever about the Messiah is in Genesis 3, verse 15, where he says there would be enmity between Satan's seed and the woman's seed and that he would crush his head, but he would bruise his heel. He talks about this battle between the serpent and the seed of the woman and that there would be a, an injury a bruising of the heel, but a crushing, a total defeat. That's what we find on the cross. Eventually, that was fulfilled by the Messiah on the cross. He died. His heel was crushed because he rose again from the dead three days later. But Satan's power was destroyed. He no longer has power over death because he was crushed there. A little bit later on, Abraham would be told in Genesis 22, 18, that I'm going to make your descendants like the stars of the sky and like the sand of the sea. Quite a thing to say to a man who has one son at this point. He's got a son named Ishmael, and that's a son of the flesh. That wasn't even trusting God. And he says, I'm going to make your descendants like the stars of the sky. And this descendant, one of your descendants from Sarah, is going to bless all nations. And Abraham says, I'll let Ishmael live before you. And God says, no. But in Sarah's child, the world will be blessed. So we're told that through Abraham, there's going to come a descendant that's going to bless all nations. Not just bless Israel, but bless all nations. A little bit later on, a descendant of Abraham named Judah was listening to his dad, Jacob, bless the 12 sons. And Jacob said to Judah, the scepter, which is a kingly instrument, the scepter will not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So he speaks of more than just a king from the tribe of Judah, but of one who would have a kingdom who would have no end. So we know that the Messiah had to be a descendant of Abraham and he had to be of the tribe of Judah. Of course, Jesus was. The first king of Judah that sat on the throne was David. The first king of Israel was Saul, but he was a Benjamite. The first the one from the tribe of Judah that sat on the throne was David. And David comes on the scene with a bang. He kills a giant that no one else will face. And he does it with great faith. 
You come at me with a sword and a spear and a shield, and I come at you in the name of the living God. Could this be the Messiah? But then we see great failure in his life, that he's been bitten by the serpent as well, and there's great sin in him. And God says to David, the Messiah, the anointed one, will sit on your throne. So now we know the Messiah has to come through Abraham and be of the tribe of Judah and then be a descendant of David. And that's what the genealogies in Matthew and Luke are all about. Both of them go through Abraham, Judah, and David. All of them do. Revealing that the Messiah had to meet these requirements. And then in Isaiah 9, 6, we're told that a child would be born, a son would be given, and he would be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the government will be upon his shoulders. This tells us that the Messiah would be born as a baby, that he wouldn't come from heaven. He wouldn't suddenly come onto heaven, uh, onto the earth, but he would actually come onto earth as a child. And in Isaiah 7, 14, of course, we're told that we are given a sign, a virgin will conceive and bear a child, and he will be called Emmanuel. So there had to be a child that would come through Abraham, through Judah, through David. And in Isaiah 53, and other passages in Isaiah were told that he would suffer for the iniquity of mankind, that he had to. If there's anybody that you think is the Messiah, you look back and you say, well, I think that person was the Messiah. They had to die for the sins of all mankind. And he had to be from the tribe of Judah and he had to be a descendant of David, had to be a descendant of Abraham, had to be a child who was born, who was called all of these things. And finally, Jesus claimed to be the Messiah three times. I point that out because I've had people tell me before, Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. I've also had people tell me that Jesus never claimed to be God. My response to both of those is, which Bible are you reading? Because he claims both of those on several occasions. First of all, to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Do you remember that she said, we know that when the Messiah comes, he will restore all things. And Jesus chose a Samaritan woman to be the first one that he would say, I who speak to you am he. He didn't tell Nicodemus. He told a Samaritan woman who had had five husbands and was living with a man now. He revealed to her that he was the Messiah. Absolutely amazing. And then, of course, we looked just a little while ago at Peter when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, Peter said, you are the Messiah the anointed one, the son of God. Psalms 2 speaks of the anointed one being the son of God. And Jesus says, don't tell anybody that. Uh, there's this Markian secret, Markian meaning the book of Mark. This Markian secret. Jesus constantly said in the book of Mark, don't tell people, don't tell people, don't tell people. He didn't want things to get out of control. Plus they had expectations of the Messiah that Jesus was not going to meet. He would meet them the second time he came, not the first. And then finally, well, not finally. There's other people he revealed that he was the Messiah. But these three examples, he, he healed a man who was born blind. And the disciples said something strange. They said, who sinned that this man would be born blind? Him or his parents? Well, how could that guy sin in the womb? They thought there was something flawed about him. It's this idea or concept that if you have some, some sickness or illness or blindness or whatever it would be, that it's because there's sin in your life. That's still taught today. It's such a heresy. Jesus said, neither. His parents didn't sin and he didn't sin. But it is for the glory of God that this man was born blind. You might say, what a mean thing. Can't God get his glory in some other way? 
Well, that man was eventually questioned about Jesus. And it's a really funny encounter when you read it. They said, who is this guy? We, we've never seen him do anything. We don't know of this guy. And the blind guy says, it's funny. You guys have never heard of him or seen him. You don't know anything about him. But yet he's opened up my eyes and I see. And they kicked him out of the temple. They excommunicated him. Which was very serious in Israel. And Jesus went and found that man and said to him, I am the son of God. Jesus very rarely ever used that term, I am the son of God. He most, and we talked about it often. He mostly uses, I am the son of man. The son of man, you will see the son of man do this. But he says, I am the son of God to that man who was born blind. That was a clear, when you understand Psalms 2, you understand he is clearly saying to him that I am the Messiah. So yes, Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. He has fulfilled those that I've mentioned and I would run out of time if I tried to cover every single passage in the Old Testament that speaks of him being the Messiah. So Jesus begins his ministry in the Galilee. He goes from village to village and in the area of the Galilee, Josephus tells us that there's about a million people living there in the region of the Galilee. That's about how many people we have in the metropolitan area of Tucson. That's a lot of people. They were in all these different villages, some of them bigger like Capernaum, some of them smaller like Cana. And Nazareth was on the outskirts of Galilee. Jesus grew up in Nazareth, not really Galilee. It's not technically considered to be Galilee. It's on the edge of it. Jesus had grown up there. So he's in the Galilee and he's in Capernaum and he's healing Peter's mother-in-law of a fever and he's raising Jairus, a ruler's daughter from the dead and he's healing the servant of a centurion who comes to him and says, you don't need to come to my house to say the word. He's doing all of these miracles and news of him is going everywhere and he's growing in fame. And he leaves the Galilee and he goes to Nazareth, to his hometown. We pick it up in verse 16 of Luke chapter 4. So he came to Nazareth where he was brought up and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. He begins to read about himself being the anointed one to preach the gospel to the poor. The poor are a much better audience for the gospel than the rich. It's hard for a rich man to get saved. Jesus said it's hard for a camel to go through an eye of a needle for a rich man to be saved. But with God, nothing's impossible, he went on to say. It happens. But the poor are much more receptive. They know their needs. And the church should never forget that the gospel is to be preached to the poor. It is a receptive audience for the gospel. And Jesus came to the poor and when we minister to them, it is incredibly fruitful. He says, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. I love the first time we find the mention of the brokenhearted in the, in the world. It's from the Bible. It's from the book of Isaiah and not a country song. There's a lot of country songs about the brokenhearted. See, you may be here today and you may be brokenhearted. Maybe because, you know, maybe it's somebody dumped you. <laughs> you're brokenhearted. I laugh about it because we've all been there, right? But you're right now, you're like, don't laugh. It hurts. God knows. Maybe you've been separated from someone you love and you're, you're brokenhearted about it. Maybe there's something else going on in your life that's just broken your heart. 
And God's close to those who are brokenhearted. And he sent Jesus to heal him. Both of those passages are true. God says, a bruised reed I will not break. A bru- you know, you see reeds by the edge of a, a lake. And one of them's bent over. That's a bruised reed. God says, I won't break it. God's tender with those who are broken. And if you're broken here tonight, if you're broken hearted, then God's close to you and he's here to heal you. To proclaim liberty to the captives. There are many slaves in the world in the days of Jesus. And he came to proclaim liberty to them that they could be set free by having Jesus as their savior and the recovery of sight to the blind. This is that the Messiah would do signs and wonders and miracles, even giving sight to the blind as a sign of him and his Messiahship to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to set free people who are oppressed by other people or oppressed by demonic spirits and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord that you can accept the Lord. This is quite a passage for him to read. It's a messianic passage about what kind of ministry the Messiah will have. Then he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. When they would teach, Jesus is a a rabbi. He's called a rabbi. By the way, not just anybody could be a rabbi. There were certain qualifications that had to be met. And Jesus met them. They called him rabbi. And he's here and he's teaching. And, And they would sit down. They would read and then they would sit down and they would teach. And so every eye is fixed on him and he begins now to speak to them. And he says something that's so absolutely amazing. He says, uh, today, verse 24, and he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That is, he set a spirit upon me and has anointed me to heal the brokenhearted, to give sight to the blind, to set free the captives, to set free the oppressed and give the acceptable year of the Lord. He's telling them, I am the Messiah. Today, these scriptures are fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness of him and marveled at his gracious words. There were no teachers like Jesus in their day. I'm sure that as a Christian, and hopefully if your whole time is being a Christian here at Calvary Chapel, that you haven't heard your share of bad sermons. I know sometimes I leave and I think, you know, I don't think that was a particularly good sermon. I don't think that was a good message. But I've I've heard my share of bad sermons. And I'm sure they heard their share of bad explanations of the scriptures in the synagogues. But they marveled at Jesus, at his graciousness, at at his gracious words, at the things that he had said. And um, they bore witness to him and they said, is this not Joseph's son? Don't we know this guy? Mary had the angel come to her in Nazareth. Then Joseph took her to Bethlehem where Jesus was born. Then he was warned in a dream because Herod wanted to kill him to go to Egypt. So he went to Egypt for a few years. And then as a child, we know by the time he was 12, he was back in Jerusalem and back in Nazareth. They came and they settled back in Nazareth. And he was brought up there and they knew him. Isn't this, isn't this Joseph's son? And he said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also in our country. And he said to them, assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up for three years and six months, and there was great famine throughout the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath, to the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. 
Boy, if you know what Jesus is saying here. He's saying there were a lot of widows in Israel during the days of Elijah, Elisha. But he was sent to none of them except to a widow in Sidon. Sidon is not Israel. Sidon is the region of Tyre and Sidon. Jesus went to the region, this region during his ministry, and a woman met him who was a woman from Tyre. And she said, heal my daughter. And Jesus said, we're not going to take what, the, what is for the children and give it to the dogs. And she says, but even the dogs eat crumbs off the, the children's table. And Jesus said, I haven't seen such faith in all of Israel because she's from, from Tyre. So Jesus says to them, a Gentile was ministered to by Elisha. Not any of the widows in Israel, but a Gentile. Then he gives them another example. He says, and many lepers were in Israel at the time of Elisha, the prophet. And none of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. It's another Gentile. This is a Syrian, even an enemy. No one in Israel was healed during his days, but a Syrian. So all of those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. They thought they were better. They thought they were privileged because they were Jews. They didn't realize that Jesus came to the Gentiles and he's trying to make that point. And they rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill, which is there on the city was built that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing through them in the midst of them, he went his way. It's a miracle. He just wouldn't let him do it. It wasn't time. It wasn't time for him to die. So he passes through them. Now go to Mark 6. I want to read verses 1 through 5. This is either another account with less detail. It's either the same account with less detail or it's a different account another time that Jesus went to, to Nazareth. But we learn a couple things from it. It's short. In uh, verse 1 of Mark chapter 6, Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach them in the synagogue, and many heard him and were amazed. What we just read, a little more detail. But where did this man get these things? They asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Jesus had worked on their houses. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? Mary was there still in Nazareth that, that day. And his brothers, James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, four of his brothers. By the way, the James, who writes the book of James and becomes the pastor of Jerusalem, is the half-brother of Jesus. This James is mentioned here. He doesn't believe at this point. But the Bible says that Jesus appears to James after the resurrection. I, I assume at some point James began to believe. Maybe it was that appearance after the resurrection that James was like, can you imagine growing up with Jesus as your brother? You guys have brothers? You have a brother who's more athletic than you or better academically than you? I won't say smarter than you, but better than you at school. Can you imagine being the brother of Jesus? I wonder if Mary ever said, can't you be more like Jesus? Probably. Not only that, there were sisters. James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And aren't there sisters with us here? And they took offense of him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. But he could, note the word could, he could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. All the great miracles that he did in Capernaum and in other cities in the Galilee, he could not do there. Why? Well, it's, we're told it because they did not believe. They did not believe in him. 
They didn't believe that he could do it, so they didn't ask him. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on KGUN 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.